it is always to the point and it is always relevant. And so I don't even know who it was, but I just want to thank you that you ministered to me. And, and I am sure that it was a great word for everyone. Thank you so much. My name is Tony Cervero. I am Italian. Everyone know that Jesus was Italian, don't you? No, there's scientific proof that Jesus was Italian. Three reasons. Number one, he hung around the same 12 guys his whole life. Number two, he didn't leave home till he was 30. And number three, wherever he went, his mother went with him saying, my son, he's the son of God, <laughs> which qualifies you for being Italian or Mexican or many other groups. I am half Italian, half Spanish also. Uh, my father's relatives are from Spain, and my mother is full-blooded Calabrese, southern part of Italy. It's, it's great. I'm born and raised in Erie, Pennsylvania. My wife was raised in New Jersey, and I pastored across the street from Princeton University for several years. It was from here to the door. It was the closest dormitory at Princeton University. And she was in that church. And it was great because my secretary for the first several years uh, went to the mission field. And I had asked, who is the best administrator in the church? And the secretary of the board said, you'll never get her. She works for Bristol Myers Squibb. You can't afford her. You can't everything or anything. And so I talked to her and I said, you know, if God is calling you to work here, you know, all the money, everything, you got to listen to God. And she didn't answer me for about four months, which is not a good sign. But we, we, um, she started working and it's interesting because I was a single pastor and she was my secretary and we hated each other and she wished I would fire her. I wish she was quitting for a while. And that's when we became good friends. How many know when you work and get to know each other, it's always a great foundation because we became great friends and we fell in love, and it's a great love story. And so, June, you want to say anything or greet everyone? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's one of the greatest gifts God has ever given me is my wife. I want to share today. I'm going to start by just sharing because I'm going to end with sharing. You know, I'm going to complete the story. Three years ago, I um, was in New York City. And I'd just gone through a really tough period of my life where disappointments from anyone have ever been hurt or disappointed from people that you put trust into. And no one's ever gone through that, have you? I, I didn't think I was the only one. We were in New York City and I had with our, we have three kids. Annabella is our oldest. She's 22. She was a music composition major. She just graduated from college. Our son is an actor, 19 years old. Um, he's doing great, and he has a um, he has a role in a great production now. If you've ever seen the movie Gettysburg, it is the stage production of that called Killer Angels. And our youngest is Isabella Joy. And uh, we had her when she was 46, when we were 46, not when she was 46. And, and when I went, uh, we went to New York City, the five of us, and I had a really tough trip going out there. I was in great pain. It was pain in my chest and in my back, and we all knew the symptoms, and we were just afraid to admit it. And after a day being there, I collapsed on a subway platform as we were going to Brooklyn Tabernacle, a great church with a great choir. Jim Symbol is a great pastor. We were on the way to Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I collapsed and had a massive heart attack. And... There is a law in New York City that an ambulance has to take you to the closest hospital. And the closest hospital to Brooklyn Tabernacle, it was a hospital that did not have a cardiologist on call, nor a, were they able to do any intervention or to do an angioplasty. So for 24 hours until Aetna 
or great insurance could prove me to be transferred to a hospital where I could be treated, I laid there with 95% blockage in my heart, which meant 95% of the oxygen that was supposed to go to my brain wasn't going to my brain. And so for the last two and a half to three years, I've had to battle what's called mild cognitive impairment. And that is when you have a brain condition, impairment, where you have trouble with short-term memory loss, word recall problems. When you have a doctorate and when you speak for a living and when you write and when that's what you do for a living in meetings and everything, that's a really tough place to be. And it's easy to sit there because it seems like at that time, God strips you of every part of your life that you put your stock into and that you cherish, that you look to. A man feels that his identity is found in what he does and what he can do and what he has done. And when God seemingly lets all that stuff be stripped out of your life, you have to turn somewhere in a new way. You have to discover and you have to understand what God is doing because he never wastes trials and he never wastes poignant moments of drama in your life. So you're going to wonder, how in the world does this fit into what I want to talk about? I want to talk to you about the tale or the trial or the the battle of the two natures that's in our life. So why don't you stand with me and I'm going to read a couple of the scriptures. Are you with me? There's two portions of scripture. I think we have some over at uh, Romans 7, 14 through 20, and then Galatians chapter 5. Let's go back to the other one, uh, the, the first one. And that's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. Why don't we, um, if you have your Bible, you know what? If you go forward, I think we have, this is, if Jesus defeated our sin on the cross, and if Christ lives in you, how many, how many has, have Jesus living in your heart? How many believe Jesus defeated our sins on the cross of Calvary? So here's a question. If Jesus defeated our sins on the cross, and if Jesus is living in us, how come we continue to have sin in our life? How can we continue to have the very thing... He powerfully defeated, and he evidently lives within us. This is one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life, in that if you don't understand it and grasp it, you will never become what God wants you to become, and you will never receive what he paid for on the cross of Calvary. Anyone want that kind of stuff? And so, I think the next scripture is Romans chapter 7. Okay, I will start with Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am what? How many are married to someone who's unspiritual? (laughs) No, we, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. We just got done singing. I'm no longer a slave to fear. It's worse to be a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. This is the Apostle Paul talking. This is not some slouch. This is a guy who was a Pharisee. This is a guy who wrote half of the New Testament. This is a powerful man of God. So you can't explain it away that he was just not who we thought he was. Because Paul was a great man of God. But he said, I do not understand what I do. How many have trouble understanding your behavior sometimes? Good. 
For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, who does it should be, but it is sin living in me. Let's go on to the next portion of scripture. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Let's go to the next one. And so I think it's the next scripture in Galatians. No, that was Romans. Hey, so I say, live by what? He just got done saying what he wrestles with. He answers that dilemma in Galatians. When Paul says this and says he doesn't understand what he does, he is talking about a universal problem amongst people. And so he says this to answer it. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Lord, I ask you today that you will speak to us about the very human problem that we have, that we love you and you live in our hearts and all of us want to do great things for you. All of us do not want to sin and we want to obey you and live for you. But we all understand the dilemma that our life is often contrary to the very things we want. Teach us today some simple truths of how you lead us to overcome these issues. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I was a kid, I played Little League Baseball, I think. How many men in here played, or women played Little League Baseball? And I'll never, I'll never forget one time hitting a ball as far as I thought I could hit it. And I was rounding the bases. And as I was rounding the bases, I thought that it was the last inning, and I thought that would have meant we were winning, so the other team should be walking off the field, but they didn't. And so as I was coming in and, and to touch home plate, the third baseman of that team got a ball, threw it to the first baseman, and the umpire said, you're out. And um, my coach was an Italian, just like we are. And they take things so mildly when that kind of stuff happens. <laughs> he didn't take it very mildly. And he went and just, and just yelling. And my father and mother and my whole family got into it from the stands. It's embarrassing when your parents get kicked out of the game from the stands. And they, they said, what, what in the world? Well, how is he out? And he said, he missed first base. If you miss first base, you're out. Let me tell you something in the Christian life. You can go to great heights and do great things. But if you miss first base in the Christian life, you're out. If you miss the most basic principles 
of some of the most basic realities and truths. And if we don't get them into our life and where we live, because God in the spiritual life, it will never become powerful until it first becomes personal. The Christian life has to become personal for it to become powerful in our life. And so that's what Paul is laying out here is one of the most basic principles that every one of us have to wrestle with. And it comes from the phrase that he basically says, I don't do what I want to do. Now, what you realize here is that it's not an issue of want. I don't do what I want to do. I want to read the scriptures more, but I don't necessarily read it more. I want to live and do give more money, but I may not do it. I want to lose weight, and it just somehow I don't. Probably has something to do with how much I eat. How many want to do things that it is not a reality in your life? And Paul is addressing here, we as Christians often have these great wants. And so what we learn to do is, is, is kind of get into the form of Christianity and into the motions. Have you ever seen a Christian who talks a good game and even speaks in tongues and, and does all those great things, but at the same time, even though they have a good talk and, a, and they know scriptures and they have opinions on everything and they seem to have answers for every single part of your life, no one knows any Christians here at this church like that, but there are people in other churches like that. And the problem is their life is filled with sins and lies and behavior and pride. And, and you have to ask, what's wrong with that picture? If Jesus defeated sin, if he defeated our sin, and we believe that it's for ourselves, why isn't Jesus's victory operating in our life? What's wrong? You see, most of us have that same dilemma that is happening that Paul is talking about. Because Paul talks about that Jesus defeated sin once and for all, it says in the book of Hebrews. So if Jesus' victory over sin is not operating, do we still function in the same manner as we used to do before we knew Jesus? Are we still operating? Are we still satisfying ourselves in the same way? Or maybe we have some hurts in our life that are so deep that we haven't brought the joy and the love and the healing that Jesus has. And so we still satisfy or alleviate the pain by some of the same behaviors, even if they are unhealthy, to make the pain less in our life. Is that making sense to anyone? You see, we, we often come to these things because it's not usually this black and white thing where someone is evil and they just do it. Usually there's a lot of reasons that seemingly bleed over. But Paul still comes out and says, it's still not the right way that Jesus wants us to live for him. Because you see, you may have cleaned up on the outside, but it's, it's not until it's operating on the inside that Jesus is, it does something powerful. I was raised in an Italian Pentecostal church. You've never been into a Pentecostal or any kind of church until you've been to an Italian Pentecostal church. The volume is loud. The services are long, and it was it was better than Saturday Night Live. It was funny all the time. There was one brother. He was a sincere brother. He used to be in the mafia. Half the guys used to be in the mafia. Seriously, they're all immigrants from Italy. They came over here. His name was Brother Victorino Barbaro. And I'll never forget, he used to give the greatest prayer request. When we would have prayer requests, people would raise their hand and they'd say, Brother Barbara, I'll never forget when one time he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I was driving to church today 
and there was a policeman who stopped me and said, I was driving too fast. I told him, I'm going to church. He says, you still drive too fast. He said, but I'm going to church, I told him. And he says, you still get a ticket. Here's the ticket. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, let's pray that God kill that man. <laughs> True story. Now, that's a man who loved Jesus, was living for Jesus, but still solved his problems the way he did when he was not living for Jesus. See, we often do that. We often learn how to put the veneer on the outside, put a good surface, and that's what Paul is talking about. Christianity is much more than just going through the motions or having an exterior that looks like a Christian. Because oftentimes, the Christian church and what we do is, is almost contrary to the very essence of who we're supposed to be. And that's what Paul is saying. He, he's admonishing us here because he says, here's a dilemma. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, what I hate. He says, what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good. How many have the desire to do what is good? And so he said, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You need to have more than desire to carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Basically, he's saying he does not have the ability to carry out what he knows is God's will and God's way and even the details of his life. And coming to church and giving money and going through the motions, as important as it is, still doesn't change your life in the way that we believe that Christianity is about transformation. Christianity is about a life that is totally changed and transformed into the image of God. How many believe that? And so here's what I said I have. So why he said, what, why do I do what I, we don't want to do and, but don't do what we want to do? Well, here's, before we get into it, you have to understand there's three things. There are three levels that Paul sees when it comes to sin. Can you put that next one? Is that talk about the sins? Oh, no, okay, here's, let me read this, Galatians. I love what the, how the message says it. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy Spirit is compatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical. He says this, Basically, what Paul, in, in laying the thing, you have to understand what he's saying. That sin exists on three levels. Because he sees sin as an action. How, how do you see sin? Is sin to you something that you do? You know, I, 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 I tell a lie, or I do this, or I, I, I cheat on my taxes, or, or I do this sin. It's an action. Paul also sees it not only as an action, because if you, how many were raised in the Catholic Church? I'm Italian, and most Italians are first Catholic before they're human, they're Catholic. <laughs> and what do you do? You usually go and confess your sins in a confessional. And there's a priest there. And that mindset is, sin is an action. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been three years since my last confession, or however long. But the fact is, when you confess in that kind of stuff, you have to do it act by act, so you see sin as an action. But when there is action that continues on your life, that it becomes an ongoing, 
ongoing pattern in your life becomes a behavior. And behavior starts getting into the DNA of how you think. And it starts without ever saying you believe it. It can easily counter your belief system if you trust your behavior that looks for something or finds release for something. Any pathological behavior, whether it is lying or anything else, is the behavior pattern that has found relief in some kind of way. And that way, it takes something a little deeper and a little more powerful to see the power of the gospel change a person. Then Paul talks about a third way that's even deeper. That sin is not only an action, it's not only a behavior pattern in our lives. Because it's hard because behavior patterns take more than just confessing a sin comes to the place where you have to be broken and that place and the lie that you believe for that has to be brought to an encounter with Jesus. But Paul comes and says there's even one greater level and that's not only where it is a action or a behavior, but sin is a nature. Now, I want you to understand, when it talks about how God made us, we find out in what he says here, he says that we have a sinful nature and a spiritual nature. Now, I want you to understand, God didn't give you a sinful nature. God didn't say, you know what, I'm going to make them spiritual and sinful. No, that was how we did it. What God made us like is that we are the most magnificent creation God has ever made because we are like him in, in ways that we bridge over whole different realms. No other, no other creature that God ever created. No animal. An animal is usually physical. Angels are spiritual. But when he came to you and I, he created us with a magnificent ability and this wonderful makeup that we are both physical and spiritual so that we can live on earth and enjoy the power of earth and the glory of earth and we can live in a way and a realm that God calls us to live. Now, that can take us astray. But at the same time, we have this nature that can bond with God and have a relationship with God that is a spiritual nature. And so what Paul goes on to say here, and he as he talks about sin, he's starting to say, and he lays out this powerful picture of why he does what he doesn't want to do. He says, first of all, there's these things that, here's these things that I want to do. I'm going to put them, let's see. Can I turn this just a little bit? Sure. The drummer's going to shoot me, but it's right over here. Here are the things that I want to do. And he says, okay, over on this side, here are the things I want to do. I tell myself, I want to do these things. I wake up in the morning and say, I am going to do these things. I'm going to do everything in my life to do these things. But the problem is, no matter how much I say I want to do these things, I end up not doing the things I want to do. Well, not only is there the things that I want to do, he says, here's another problem. Here are some of the things that I don't want to do. And your children's ministry was nice enough to give me a very valuable thing, and that's construction paper, which I understand. I'm going to put this one. It should be on the other side. Um, I'm just going to put it. I don't want to take. Okay, thank you very much. These are the things I don't want to do. Now, he says... There are these things, oh, that's great, because I have two more. Um, there are these things I don't want to do. 
Now, I am not there. These things in my life that no matter what, I am going to do my best that I am not going to do these things that I have a propensity to do that take me away from God. And so I don't want to do these things that take me away from God. But no matter how much I say I don't want to do them, I end up doing them. So I have over here the things that I want to do. And I say, I want to do these things. But not only do I not do the things I want to do, I end up doing the things I don't want to do. Anyone track what Paul is saying? Anyone track that, you know, you want to go on a diet, you want to be on a diet, and, and you eat well all the way to 10.30 at night? And you're so hungry, so you get your chair and sit it in front of the refrigerator. And 3,000 calories later, you did not do what you wanted to do, and you ended up doing what you didn't want to do. Anyone that is true confessions? Thing is, that's a very black and white thing, but that happens to us spiritually. And when that becomes a pattern that we don't know how to overcome, what we do is we spin for our whole life spiritually, never really going anywhere. There's always these things that I wanted to do. I have these great plans. I have these great things I would love to do. I have these dreams, dreams that no one else may have. But we don't do it because we don't do what we want to do and we do what we don't want to do. Why in the world does that happen? Well, Paul goes on to say that. Are you, are you guys with me? Are you following me? It, because what Paul is saying, it's more into this battle. There's a war going on inside of us. And so he says that you have to understand to line up with the things that I want to do, we have a spiritual nature. He says there is this spiritual nature that wants me to be like God. It wants me to serve God. It wants me to do things that glorifies God. And so it's the things I want to do because this, this nature is satisfied and is glorified when God is at the center of my life and I'm pleasing him instead of myself. But the problem is, you see these words, there's a common word in both these. It's the word want. And the problem with want is our desires try to tell us that it's the real us. If you'd give in to those desires, that's the real you. And if you got to give up the things you want to serve God, he's not letting you be who you want to be. you got to give up all this life to serve God. Anyone ever hear that lie? It's one of the greatest hits Satan has ever come up with. It's totally bogus. Because let me tell you about our sinful nature. It makes you think... This is who you are, and you'll never be satisfied without its desires. If you do not satisfy it, it will make you and leave you feeling that you will never, ever feel like you are being with God. It, it keeps on saying that the sinful nature is coming against me, and it tries to make all these desires be the Lord of my life. Now, let me tell you something about desires. They're not necessarily bad. Desires just make bad gods. They're never meant to be gods. But when we put it in the place of driving a nature inside of us that only God can satisfy, that takes away the place that God made for him in your heart, that desire becomes a God. And here's what Paul says. I could give a lot longer. Let me cut to the chase. He says that the spiritual nature is in all-out conflict with the sinful nature. 
They are in battle with each other to destroy each other. The sinful nature wants to destroy the spiritual nature so it can have its way in your life. Because even though that is the way to God and to serve God, it wants your way. We like churches that gives it to us our way. Have it your way. Sermon, altar calls, the way you want it. Just tough. That's just not very biblical. If anyone wants to be my disciple, what's the first part of that before pick up his cross? Does that sound like this? See what I'm saying? This is at battle, and the spiritual nature is at battle with the sinful nature because it understands that the sinful nature wants to keep you from having God in the way God wants to live in your life. It keeps you from the power of God in your life, from the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So the spiritual nature prompts you to where God wants you to live so that you can follow him. The sinful nature prompts you so that you can be the center of your world and the center of your life. But the problem is, when Jesus said, when Jesus was about to go to the cross and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Not my will, but what? Do you see what is happening? You can't do God's will until the spiritual nature is operating. You will never do the will of God until you say, not my will, but your will be done. Anyone say amen to that? Are you following me? But the problem is, his will, when you understand that, it, what happens is, when this starts becoming the very way of life, and it becomes part of your heart. You see, what happens to the spiritual nature when it has its way it brings you to the place where what satisfies you and what you desire is not the things that your flesh wants, but the things that God wants are the things that you actually want. And that you will never fully do the will of God until what God desires becomes your desires. And for that to happen, there has to be a crucifixion or a laying down or a killing of one of the natures in your life. And what Paul says is when these two are battling, because of this battle, I don't do what I want to do. Well, how in the world does it happen that this battle enables us or keeps us from doing what God wants us to do? Well, let's be honest. Let's say, let's make this a, a long table like on Thanksgiving Day, right? At this end of the table, you have all this sinful nature food. It's all over the place. It's heaps and heaps of food. It's like turkey and beef and, and it has all the food, sinful nature food. It has the TV and the computer and everything you're, anyone that know what I'm talking about? It's all over the place. It's sinful nature food. And on this end of the table, you have spiritual nature food. And it's on a plate with two communion wafers. What's even worse, if it happens so that you don't do what you want to do, that means in this corner, weighing 1,652 pounds, 145 inches tall, when he burps, Hurricane Irma comes out. He is a cross between Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Tasmanian devil, and every other big Chewbacca that we know of. It is the sinful nature. 
and he's huge and he's powerful and he's well fed right he's well fed in this corner weighing 32 ounces six inches tall a cross between Tweety Bird and Tinkerbell it's the spiritual nature and so what Paul says they go into battle with each other and the sinful nature says let's not go to church my land those sermons are so long and all they do is ask for money I'm not going to church Yes, but we have to go to church. We learn about God and we're in his presence. No way. You know what? I do what I want to do. I do when I want to do it. That's a, you know, it's all a bunch of hypocrites. And, and he goes on and on. You know, I have movies I want to see and things I want to do. And my car needs to be polished. I haven't polished it for eight years, but I have to polish it on Sunday morning. No, we need God. We need prayer. You need prayer. No way. We're not doing anything for God. Yes, we will. No, we don't. Yes, we will. Kaboosh. And you don't do what you want to do. Now, you may think that's a little drama, but it's not exactly what happens. You, you put the character in what you want, but somehow, this dude beats that dude. You following me? How in the world did the sinful nature get so big and the spiritual nature get so small? Anyone have any? Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know what? Some of us are building cathedrals and some of us are building chapels and you know what we're the temple of the holy spirit the bible says but it seems like this guy is doing much more because the sinful nature food is more prevalent at hand easier to do and more readily accessible and satisfying your old nature and your sinful nature was attached to it and that the spiritual nature food has to lay down yourself to feed it on God so you say well if there's so much food down here why doesn't this poor little guy just scoot down here and you know he's this real small guy and he goes hey, why doesn't he just come right down here and eat some of the sinful nature food. Well, I'm glad you asked that. But, and I think I, uh, um, is there one before that? But you have to understand. Okay, let me say this. How can we, how does it get so big? What we feed grows. What you starve dies. Listen here. You never satisfy anything by feeding it. Do you ever notice that? Giving into it just increases its capacity to grow. Let's go to the next slide. Now, here's the problem is, we have a problem with our foundation. The spiritual nature does not operate by the same truths, realities, and values of the sinful nature. And the sinful nature doesn't operate by the same truths as the spiritual nature. What's the next one say? So why doesn't he scoot down here and take some of this food? Spiritual nature does not eat what the sinful nature eats. Nor does the sinful nature eat what the spiritual nature eats. It's not on each other's diet. Do you ever see a cow? Do you ever see how they, they feed it? We have my daughter rides a horse and and uh, and she works at a a ranch and they do cow sorting and when they feed it they go whoa and they have all that slop they give them and they just pour it out there and hear the cows come running. Never once 
did I ever see a cow ever look at a steak and say, boy, that looks good. I think I knew her. <laughs> Why? Because human food is not on a cow's diet. And cow food is not on a human diet. So when a sinful nature-driven person comes into a church and hears certain things about God, they think you're nuts. Because sinful nature people, oriented people, don't grasp or cannot eat that. It takes a revelation from God that brings to life this nature. Anyone with me? And vice versa. And so what God has to do, and, and, I, and I know the time we're supposed to be bringing in it for a landing. Bring, bring out the thing about meekness. I'll get to that. But I want you to understand we can make this very mechanical. We could say, okay, you got to feed this, you got to starve that, all that, and it becomes very mechanical. But what God has to do is that he has to win your heart so that what this is becomes the very desires of your heart. The stuff that I went through before my heart attack, days before it, I was the number two man in Southern California over a denomination. It was a very political position. The person who was in my position years before became the general superintendent of our movement. The problem is, it seemed like my whole life I was aiming to work into that organization and into that church and church politics. What you come out and realize there's a lot of plastic. And I'm not going to say any more, but there are just some lack of integrity and some real hurtful things. God had to bring me to a place where he stripped me down where I realized. And I had to come to a realization this part of my life is never going to truly flourish as long as I was going into the systems of man for the approval of man and the positions of man. And so to get to that place where my heart was open was a very painful journey. A journey that there was a period of my time of recovery that it's not that it was numb, but it was hard even thinking about looking up to God in the way that I knew I should until he wooed my heart and won it back. Because it isn't until your spiritual nature, you, you'll never have the spiritual nature be your desires until God wins your heart. It's a love affair. I could tell you all the rules of how to do it and how to have all spiritual formation. But the fact is, if you don't fall in love with him, this will never grow. Can you say amen? What you have to understand is the kingdom of God is totally different than this world. And so the spiritual nature and the sinful nature, they don't work at all alike and at all like the world. And so when God starts showing you stuff, and I just put this up here, and, and, and then, you know, I'll try to bring it in for a landing here. But blessed are the meek. Say, blessed are the meek. Say, say it again, blessed are the meek. Isn't that a great phrase, blessed are the meek, that Jesus said? But the problem is, when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, the problem with that is, we see meek as weak. When we see meekness, let me tell you, in, in, the, in the political system of the church, we're CEOs. We're clicking along in power. And meekness is not the name of the game. Until Jesus says, blessed are the meek. 
You know what meekness is in the biblical sense? Meekness is a picture of a horse. You ever see a wild horse? Horses can be wild no matter what. At the, at the, um, at the ranch where my, where my daughter uh, works at, she works with a couple of trainers, there was this black stallion. What was the name of the stallion? He had long hair. He strutted around. No, no. <laughs> he was, yeah, he strutted around. He would look at you like, get out of my way or I'll run you over. He was powerful. He was big. His owner was, you know, didn't really keep it. But he was the stallion on the ranch, and he made sure no other male horse ever thought they could ever take his place. Well, the picture of meekness, you see, that horse is not broken well. None of the people want to ride that horse. Great riders don't ride that horse. My, my daughter works for one of the, the cowboy trainers that train, you know, TV stars and, and movie stars like Clint Eastwood and stuff like that. And, and, and none of them want to get close to that. Why? Because an unfettered, unbroken stallion is not helpful to the owner. An unbroken Christian is not helpful to the power of God. It's not until it's broken. And all of its power is brought under the control of the master. So that every bit of power of that horse serves at the beck and call of the master that brings it to the place where it wants it to go. And so the spirit gets to a place when you fall in love with it, it grows. Because you see, the Bible makes it clear that, that it wants, it, that the scriptures, it, it, throughout the scriptures, talks about as, as it, gets, it, it gets greater that the power of God starts working. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You see, it doesn't end up that this guy's the bully on the block. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible also says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath his, what? Feet. So that when the spiritual nature is given power and it comes under the rule of God, it shows up and says to the spiritual nature, I think we're going to serve God today. And it says, no, let's not. Yes, let's do. No, let's go get smashed. That's a good idea. And the spiritual nature wins. That's what God wants out of us. It's a matter where God wins your heart and uses everything he poured in you for his glory and his goodness. If I had the piano ability of Mozart, that was not, there would not be a piece of music I could not play. If I had the mind of Albert Einstein, there isn't a, a formula I couldn't figure out. If I had the physical ability of LeBron James, there wouldn't be a shot I couldn't make. If I had the storytelling ability of Steven Spielberg, there wouldn't be a story I could not make into a wonderful, wonderful story and movie. If I had the financial savvy as a Wall Street tycoon, there wouldn't be a deal I couldn't make. And if I had the spiritual power of the Son of God who died to conquer my sin, and give me victory. If I had him living in my life, there would not be a spiritual victory I could not win. Now, we're not Mozarts, Spielbergs, 
or any of them, but Jesus Christ lives inside of you. And he wants to do great things that only he can do. Anyone want to see that in your life? Anyone want to experience that in your life? You know, there is something that when you see God move and do and work, you realize, you stand in awe of seeing him do wonderful and powerful things. You know, um, story I've told many times, when I was in graduate school, I hadn't been home for four years. That was tough. I'm from an Italian family. I hadn't seen mom and dad. They were sick. We were poor. I was in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, they would. Yep, that was it. They had a lot of food, a lot of communication. I used to miss it because we would, they would sing in Italian and tell stories and all that kind of stuff. One time I sang at, at a local church and I was in finals. And this old Italian lady named Sister Coletti, as I was studying, knocked on my door. And I opened the door, and she said, Tony, you sang on Sunday, and you did a good job. And God told me to come over. She had a bag in her hand. I said, what do you have? She said, this is a tray of homemade lasagna. And then she says, where are your dirty clothes? I said, what are you going to do? She says, never mind. I've learned long ago, never argue with an old Italian lady. <laughs> she went to my bedroom, started sorting my clothes, started singing in Italian. And I sat down and wept and started thinking from God, saying, what makes you think I don't know what satisfies you? What makes you think I cannot satisfy the deepest longings of your heart? He has nothing over the God that we serve. Because the one that made you and crafted you and saved you and loves you and watches over you is also the one that is able to satisfy every longing of your heart. And it's one of the most bogus lines that Satan has ever given us to think that we give up who we are to serve God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Today, if there's a wrestling in your soul, I believe the Holy Spirit's been talking to us on a whole wide range of things. And I just want to give a an altar call that if he is saying to you, I want you to give me this area of your life because I can give you the very thing. And you may have to address an action or a behavior, or a nature, but you won't do it alone. He will pave that way for you. And so there are many things in our life that we want, we want to do, but we don't have the ability. And so today, if God is just calling you to say, let me take you to victory because godliness with contentment is great gain. We don't hear a lot about holiness anymore. But the Bible says without it, we will never see him. So if God is just calling you to give to him some area, behavior, nature, act, I just want you to stand to your feet. Father, we come to you, the one who made us and shaped us, 
the one who fills us with your joy by your spirit. And so today, your spirit is drawing us and wooing us to come and to no longer be mediocre in our serving of you. Lord, for too many of us, we're not experiencing the Christian life the way you want us to. It's an adventure, and it's a ride that nothing else could ever match. But we have to let you win the victories. We have to let you make us meek and give us the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, today we just give you our hearts, our behaviors, our natures. We just ask you that our hearts may fall in love with you and that you will become the desire of our hearts.